Hey, my name is Jessica O'Donnell, and welcome to the newly renamed Life As Of Late podcast, previously known as the 5-Minute Update. So, why the change? Well, I'll explain that in a bonus episode at some other time, but for now, let's get to this week's show. So I sat down with my mom to have a conversation about racism because I feel like a lot of um, white people or privileged people in general don't understand how common racism is and how real it is and how deep it goes. Um, I see a lot of posts on Facebook and it's a lot of well, not a lot of, but I see a lot of posts on Facebook, especially when there's like, um, you know, an unarmed black man being shot. I'll see a lot of posts pop up that are like, well, maybe they should stop being thugs or pull up your pants and blah, 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 follow the law. And it's like, there's so much more to it than that, than that, that it just sounds so completely ignorant for you to say something like, oh, their pants were down. That's why they deserve to get shot. It's like, how can you even have that type of thinking So I want to bring my mom on the show today to talk about her experiences because I think if you were to meet her and get to know her, you wouldn't really understand how much she's gone through um, in dealing with racism. Like, she's been through some really, really whack stuff. And I don't, and I think if you met her, like, she's just such, like, a suburban mom. Like, her name's Brenda. Like, (laughs) like you wouldn't, you know, think that she had such a, a history with such racial strife in it. So I'm going to bring her on today because I think it's important to talk about how common racism is and how deep it goes and how there's so much more to it than just, oh, well, they didn't, they didn't pull the pants. Like, that just really pisses me off. And I hate when white people try to sit behind a computer screen and try to invalidate the feelings of, peoples of, of people of color because they think we're too being offended or we are the p- pussy generation, the pansy generation. It's like... This isn't pussy or pansy, and this isn't being overly politically correct. It's called being a good person. So before I get too riled up, <laughs> let's start with a quick history lesson. Slavery started in 1619. America didn't even become an independent country until 1776. So that means for over 150 years, slavery was basically our founding father. Slavery's official end didn't come until December 1865, 89 years after Thomas Jefferson declared, quote, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. For those of us who don't fit into the mold of the ideal American, we know that his words were a bold-faced lie. The ugly stain of racism and hatred would last for much longer in this country. Legal segregation wouldn't even end until the Civil Rights Act of 1964. If it were a perfect world, America would be a quote-unquote post-racial society for 52 years now. But how far have we come, really? Now, I'm not going to compare our current situation to slavery. One of my history professors at Howard made a really good point about this, actually. 
we must stop comparing contemporary times to slavery because nothing was worse than slavery for our people in this country. That comparing modern racial climates to slavery almost trivializes what our ancestors had to go through. Now, I'm not trying to invalidate perfectly rational kind of analogies that hint back towards racism, but comparing it to slavery point blank is not right. Anyway, back to my aforementioned question. 52 years. How much can really change in 52 years? Half a century of inefficacious healing to try to amend centuries of racism, hatred, segregation, and slavery? How? It's not possible. Our country is still dealing with our past. Not talking about it only makes it worse. Some conservatives, aka Tommy Loren, think it's better if everybody just drinks a beer and watches some football and tries to forget about everything. But ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance causes misunderstanding. Decades of harmful and discriminatory laws, policies, and legislation make it harder to go through life as a person of color. This country is built by us, but not for us. It's a fact. Whether you like it or not, it is. The effects of slavery and segregation still affect my people today. You may shout out, but I can't be blamed for what my ancestors did. That's true, but my people are still affected by what they did. For every action, there is an equal opposite reaction. When we come back, act two, interview with my mom. This episode is brought to you by International Student Exchange. Have you ever wanted a brother or sister from the other side of the world? Well, with ISC, it's all possible. For more information, contact my mother, Brenda O'Donnell, at 916-698-5630. Now, back to the program. Hey, Mom, can you introduce yourself to the audience for us. Hi, my name is Brenda O'Donnell, and I have been held at gunpoint three times. Can you explain each of those situations? Early in my career, I was an auditor, and I used to audit, among other things, police departments and sheriff departments. And so on two of the occasions that I was held at gunpoint, I was auditing sheriff departments. I was so part of your job, you were literally just doing your job and they held you at gunpoint. Yes, I was doing my job. I used to dress in professional suits. I was in, each time at the sheriff's department, I was in a person's office going through their records and the person who I was doing business with had walked away to get additional records for me to review. And somebody else who had nothing to do with our business transaction walked to the into the office, pointed their gun at me, and asked me what was I doing in the office. And this happened twice at two different sheriff? Two different sheriff departments. Wow. And what was the third time? The third time, I was auditing a private company, and unbeknownst to me, the owner of the company was a, what we call a freeman, a person who says that they do not have to abide by the laws of California or the government in general because they do not recognize the um, government or the United States as entities that have power over them. 
I met this person at their home and they took me out to their ranch, which it was in a secluded area, and told me that they were going to kill me and bury me on their ranch. Oh my gosh. And was calling me stupid black bitch and, say, and stated that they had sent a letter to the organization that I worked for saying if they sent another auditor out there that they were going to kill him and bury him on their ranch. And also in that letter, they stated that they were never going to follow the laws of California because they were a free man that was not subject to any laws of the state of California because the state of California did not exist. Now, I cannot remember how I got away from him uh, because it was him and another guy. Mm -hmm. And I was out in the middle of nowhere in the country and I flagged down a CHP officer who, and for your audience, a CHP officer is a California Highway Patrolman um, to try to get out of the situation and get back to my car, which is in Bakersfield. And the CHP officer pulled his gun out on me. Oh, my gosh. So the Freemason guy, he didn't pull out a gun on you. Was no. The CHP officer, this guy literally said, I'm going to kill you. You try to go get help, and a CHP officer pulls his gun out on you. Wow. Correct. Do you remember the years that these events happened? They happened in the 90s. And one of the things to be uh, aware of is, as an auditor for almost 20 years, I went to a lot of police departments, fire departments, and private companies. One of the things that is very noticeable is when you're at police departments and fire departments, the staffing, if they're not totally white, they're almost all mm -hmm. white and all males. Very few minorities of any type, very few women. If you go to private companies, very few minorities of any type. If you go to a governmental agency, that's where you start seeing more diversity. So one of the things that's very noticeable, just having the luxury of going to literally over a thousand different entities, you see the kind of makeup of people who are being employed. So how do you feel with today's society? We see this a lot. And I'm not going to say it's more prevalent than it was maybe in the 60s, even though I did see a study out there that said it was. But it's definitely more, like... It's more visible. It's more visible, exactly. How does that make you feel? Like, you see it on Facebook Live. Like, you see it everywhere now. What do you think? Like, what do you, how does that make you feel? What do you think about that? I think the visibility will help us come to an understanding that uh, we've got to get off, we've got to stop profiling people. Because I know as a person who was born and lived through the 60s and who had crosses burned on my lawn, who had hate mail sent to our, our home to say, nigger, get out of our, our neighborhood, nigger, leave our church. I know that what's going on now is just more hidden. There might be people out there who feel that way, but maybe for the last several decades were not expressing their feelings. But now we're in a culture where people feel free to express their racism. Also, with the advent of social media, it is instantaneously, instantaneously being brought to the forefront mm -hmm. so people are more aware. So I think what's going on is we have a misconception that it's happening more often than it used to, when in reality it's happening less frequently than it used to. It's just that it's more profile. Because back in the 60s, you weren't going to hear about something that might have randomly happened to one person in Wisconsin. 
Um, you might have only heard about something that was big, like mm-hmm. maybe the riots that happened in Chicago at the Democratic um, um, political convention or something. So it was very localized, and it was not blown up in the media. Now, anytime anything happens, it's now in the media. Also, something to remember, if you go back and look at your statistics, you will see that far fewer like law enforcement officers are killed in the line of duty than there were you know, 50 years ago. So we've made great advancements. The only thing that I... Can I jump in for a second? Okay, so I recently, like, a lot of... Because I work, as you know, in a news station now. So I see a lot of how media kind of twists things, even though, personally, in the station I work out, there are a lot of... There is a lot of diversity, and there are a lot of voices that kind of say, you know, well, maybe we shouldn't... You know, there is voices that kind of have a different mindset than the general public but I know that sometimes we have to make decisions that our viewers would like so I'm going to stop you just a second on the police officers while I'm sure that there were um, more killed and I will like look it up to see if that's true um (laughs) she just whispered it's true um I do want to say that the media has been jumping all over because a recent stat came out like 38 police officers were killed this year and the media has just been jumping all over that, and like they literally ate that up when that number came out. Right, but and you can go back fifty years ago but and it, maybe find out that five hundred and seventy were. But it's interesting. In a year. But besides that, besides that point, it's just like we can say hundreds of unarmed black men were killed, but the media won't broadcast that number like they were with the police officers. Like, don't you think that's well, kind of messed up? I have up? seen some of the numbers that were broadcast, and there were hundreds. A black and but Latino I, I just feel like I feel like you can't deny Caucasian though that killed. the media like definitely has a pro police bias. There is a pro like you can see bias. It. So I'm going to backtrack for a second. Um, I want you to talk more about because you said that you had crosses burned on your lawn and you got those letters telling you to leave. So can you just talk about like where you were born, where you grew up, and your experience like going through life? I was born in Berkeley, California, in a home, not a hospital. Um, my mother gave birth to me by herself with just my brother, who was two years old, watching. And I only lived in Berkeley until I was about three months old, then we moved to Oakland, California. In Oakland, I was raised in first a kind of a mixed neighborhood and then an all-black neighborhood where at our school, we only had four kids in it who were not um, black. What the were their um, ethnicities? I think there's a white girl, and I remember a couple Hispanic people. Okay. Um, but there were only four who were not black. And so being in the Oakland-Berkeley environment, of course, we were around Black Panthers and um, the Civil Rights Movement we'll, of the We'll 60s. talk about that in just a second, too. Um, and then when I was 11, we moved to Fresno, California area, and we were living in a part of Fresno that was just one block from Clovis, California. And if you know anything about the Central Valley and about Fresno, Madeira, Clovis, there is a lot of Ku Klux Klan and a lot of white supremacists in the area. Mm-hmm. At one point, the Metzger family, who was the head of the Ku Klux Klan, lived in Madeira. Like the head of the, the National? Oh, California. I, wow. He might have been the head of the National, if not the, just the head of California. Mm-hmm. I would have to look it up to see if he's the head of the National. But... Um, the neighborhood that my parents chose to move to 
was a virtually all-white neighborhood. We went to a, a school that only had 10 black kids, and those 10 kids came from five families, because um, even in my own family, there were two of us that attended the school. And we actually got crosses burned on our lawn, and we also got hate mail. And the hate mail had a, a few different tones to it. Some of it was from the church members that... Mm-hmm that the church that we joined because they said, nigger, leave our, our church. Um, cause it was a church of about 400 people and we were the only black family wow. at the church. So of course they were sent anonymously. And then we also had some letters and notes left on our doorsteps saying, you know, leave our neighborhood. Um, one of the things that our parents taught us, it's like, you see, they're all anonymous. You see that there was no one who knocked on our door and told us to our face to leave. Mm-hmm. You see that they all hid behind their anonymity. So when you were growing up, did your parents, like, were they open about the, like, did you feel the racism? Like, did you notice it? Or, like, how did it affect you growing up? And what did your parents do? We knew it was there, but it wasn't something that we focused on. Or my on. grandparents, sorry. <laughs> One of the things, for example, my dad used to teach at Fresno State University, and he used to have the international exchange students come to our home. And we would just have these um, evenings where we would feed them a big meal. We might do things like my dad was an amateur astronomer, and we might look at stars or something or have sing-alongs. I remember one evening when I was about six in sixth grade, um, there were about 38 different comp- countries represented in our household. So our parents taught us not to hate and to and that people were people and accept the people as who they are. So they would have to actually show themselves to reveal the, any nastiness. Um, it was common for me to walk down the streets and have people yell out their car windows, Nigga! Get out of here! Wow. That was very common. It's just that I never had anybody personally, physically attack me. You know, so just the verbal assaults. Mm-hmm. And then also the anonymous niggas leave this place type of things. And so our parents taught us not to hate. And one of the things that I think is very telling is if you look at the photographs of my life, you will see that my life is one that always included a lot of different people of different races. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people I know, they can't say that their life was uh, made up of a rainbow coalition um, and I can definitely say that. And even if you just look at my wedding pictures, you will see that there's black, whites, Hispanics, Asians, people born in America, people born outside of America, people who are straight, people who are gay. So you have a cross-section of a lot of different people just in our wedding photo. And actually, that's the way I lived my life. So even if you look at the lives of my children you will also see that my Me. children, <laughs> well, you, your brother, you will also see if you look at the photographs of their life, their life was very inclusive, include a lot of people. So basically, I have lived my life as I was taught to live it, to accept people as people as who they are. So let's let's go back to Oakland a little bit, and let's talk about the Black Panthers. And I think that's how we'll wrap this up, is just on a good note, because I just found this out recently, is that one of our cousins or... My cousin's husband, Steve, he yeah. was a member of the Black Panther Party. And growing up in Oakland, of course, you saw the Black Panthers everywhere. And as a child in the 60s, 
I thought the Black Panthers were our heroes. Wow. Because um, their message, and if you look back at what they were trying to do, they were trying to raise and uplift the black people. Mm -hmm. And so I always thought of Black Panthers as our protectors. And even as a child, you know, you heard about shootouts um, between the Black Panthers and the police, but it was more of our understanding that the police were the aggressors and not the Black Panthers. It's it's so interesting, like, how I've gotten older. I've learned that because definitely in, like, my schooling, like, I can't pinpoint, like, an exact year, but, like, I know that my connotation of the Black Panthers was a negative one. So it's interesting, like, as I get older, you know, I start to learn, wow, they were really good. They were not aggressors. They were just trying to protect themselves. And you you can look and like there's it's like proven now that the government was actually trying to like had like conspiracy theories against the Black Panthers. So they would, you know, disappear and like try to get rid of them. That's absolutely true. And if you look at the history of the Black Panthers and even look at the people who were the Black Panthers and who started the movement, they were people who were educated Mm -hmm. and they were trying to help other people get that same education and bring things to the people. Also, if you want to do a comparison to today, like right now we've got the Black Lives Matter movement and people are trying to make them out to be a hate group. Talk about, how does that make you feel when people try to label Black Lives Matter as a terrorist group, like literally a terrorist group? Well, it makes me feel like either they don't get it or they don't want to get it or they just are trying to point out a movement to bring hate mm-hmm. because when people hear black lives matter there are some people who are not black who take it the wrong way who take it to mean that my life as an asian woman doesn't matter my life as a black woman or a white male does not matter that's not what they're saying at all what they're saying is they're trying to let you know that the way blacks are treated we're treated like we don't matter. Mm-hmm. So why, it, when a two-year-old white girl in Pennsylvania goes missing, or in Florida, like the Casey Anthony case, why is that splashed all over the national news and maybe international news? Mm-hmm. But we've got a two-year-old that goes missing down in Mississippi who's a black child, and you don't hear anything of it. And I know people in my own life who I never thought of as racist or like subtly racist, But they've said things like, oh, well, they were no angel when, you know, unarmed black men get killed by cops. And it's like, how is that your first thought? Oh, they're no angel. When it's like, just think if it was a white male. And I've seen videos of white males attacking police officers, jumping all over police officers, resisting arrest, and they don't get killed. And then when the black men not even resist arrest and get killed and you have these people, well, they should just follow the law. It's like, they, you know, we try and it doesn't matter what we do. We still are going to be at, you know, get the short end of the stake every time. And that's what they don't get. And that's what Black Lives Matter means. That's all it is. I mean, there's several examples. You know, one of the examples is the homeless woman who was beat by the CHP officer because she was living in a homeless encampment on the freeway. He was clearly beating her, and her body was just moving based on his blows, and he tried to say that she was attacking him because he had hit her and her body would twitch. You know, Mm -hmm. of course, that came out in the wash. Is like, no, that's not going to fly. You know, so, but besides Black Lives Matter, there's a lot of things as a culture that we've got to change. 
we're all over it when there are terrorist attacks in Paris, but when there are terrorist attacks mm-hmm. in Muslim countries, we, we don't, don't care. care. We do not care. So we've got a problem, not only the media. as a society, we also have to change the way we look at it as people because people have um, been taught to unconsciously not care. Yeah. So where are the, we're with you, um, Nigeria. We're with you, Mm -hmm. Iran. And the thing that gets me really riled up, and we're about to wrap up, um, is on Facebook, you know, recently in Sacramento, there was literal neo-Nazis having a rally on the Capitol. And I'm not saying what the protesters did was right, because they did get violent, but there were protesters who came to the rally and they... There was stabbing and there was like a lot of violence. And I'm not saying that's right, but it was just so unsettling to see like the Facebook community that I'm a part of, which is like, uh, like who, let's say, oh, a high school teacher or um, a friend's mom. They got so vocal about these neo-Nazis talking about their right to protest and they have a freedom of speech. I'm not saying that's incorrect, but it's like, where are these people when injustices are happening to minorities? It's like, you're so vocal about these neo-Nazis but where are you when an unarmed black man is being shot in the, like in cold blood? I just don't understand why they go silent and other injustices. So that's it for this episode of Life as of Late. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you to my mom for sharing some of her life experiences and providing other commentary. Next week, we are doing an episode about old tweets. So I think it might be pretty interesting and some of you may be pretty surprised. So see you next time. This episode of Life As Of Late recorded and produced by Jessica O'Donnell in the city of Sacramento, California.